As we turn our attention to our scripture reading for today, I invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the big books in towards the middle, so if you find Psalms about in the middle, go forward, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Isaiah. If you find Jeremiah, um, you're a little bit too far to the right, and just go back a little bit to find Isaiah, chapter 49, verses 13 through 15. Isaiah is one of the major prophets, so as we find Isaiah 49, uh, we know that that's a lot of chapters before, and a lot has happened. And throughout this book, um, both Isaiah and Jeremiah have this back and forth between the assurance of God's comfort and love, and also with this reckoning that's coming that, well, Israel has turned away. And that God will not forget them or abandon them or forsake them. And yet there will be a time where hardship and trouble will come. That there will be a time of of exile where Assyria and Persia will take over Jerusalem and Judah and Israel. And the people will be carried off. And so the prophets hold this tension of judgment and yet also comfort and peace. They hold both of these together. And if that sounds like a complicated set of emotions, well, it is. Of course it is. But who would we be to think that Scripture does not contain and wrestle with even such complexities as hope and despair? In particular, um, today, there will be, there's, this is in the middle of almost a conversation that Isaiah, as inspired by God, wrote down. And so the, the word Zion, Zion will be a character who will respond Uh, That's not just some random dude. Uh, Zion is representative of God's people. And so there's a back and forth between the Lord and Zion, God's people. Sometimes Zion is referred to as Jerusalem. Jerusalem and Zion get uh, used sometimes interchangeably in the Old Testament. Uh, But in this case, Zion represents God's people who have a stake in this conversation. And so as we come to Isaiah 49, Verses 13 through 15. Let us first pray for God's blessing upon the reading of the word. Let's pray. Speak to us today, O God. Speak to us your truth. That as we read the scriptures, as we wrestle with your word, we may find comfort. We may find a challenge to rise up to. We may find words of assurance in our time of pain. That we remember that you dwell with us in love all the days of our life. And sometimes love means holding us close. Sometimes love means discipline, that it can be unpleasant. But your love is perfect at all times and in all places. So Lord, we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit, give our imperfect minds the ability to grasp even just a glimpse of your perfect love. In your name we pray, amen. Isaiah 49, verses 13 through 15. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I 
will not forget you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did mom forget? It's our title for today, and I would just note that regardless of the setting in life, those words, did mom forget? Those words will inevitably be painful in some way or another. Because whether a mother works outside of the home or not, we have this tendency in our society to expect mothers to be superheroes. I know something about superheroes. I bought 400 comic books on the auction yesterday. Happy Mother's Day, Caitlin. <laughs> There's some Wonder Woman ones in there too. But, but the point still stands. We often expect our mothers to be superheroes in society. Uh, that they can be, regardless of medical training, we kind of expect moms to be pediatric medical experts. I remember being a camp coordinator in charge of a bunch of kids for a summer, but when something happens to one of my kids, it's usually not dad that we're like, hey, how badly injured am I? We expect moms to be pediatric medical experts. We expect them to be scheduler extraordinaires committed school volunteers, church calendar memorizers, logistics and operation coordinators, and, you know, just all the other stuff. I'm using fancy words to describe the um, complexities of what we just kind of expect moms to do. And so, you know, it might be you hear those words, did mom forget? And it might be because there's a ball game or concert coming up and the right clothes aren't clean. Or it might be like, sitting, waiting, although now we would text our moms, but I mean, back in the day, it would kind of be like waiting to get picked up. Did mom forget? Whenever we think, oh, did mom forget, there's some detail of our lives that we have expected our mothers to take care of, and so if any of those details gets missed, we're like, did mom forget? And maybe for perspective, we need to just hold on and remember that for most of us, most households as they go, our mothers will forget more details about our lives than other people will ever know. Moms will take care of all kinds of things. Probably 99 out of 100 things get taken care of. But as humans, our brains work on patterns. And so it's not the 99 things that we get right that count. It's the one thing that we forgot. So you forgot your kid at school once. Even Joseph and Mary forgot Jesus at the temple. But we stand out to patterns that don't work. We get used to things, and we reinforce them over time, that we just kind of expect, mom's got it, mom's taking care of it, mom will handle it. And so that's why we do celebrate Mother's Day, and rightfully so. I also uh, would just note, uh, comedian Jim Gaffigan put it best. He's like, you know, Mother's Day is a bigger deal because, you know, most households, they do more. He's like, you ever notice, like, Mother's Day, it's like, flowers and gifts and fancy dinners. Then Father's Day, it's like, well, I guess we could let them grill. What else do you do? But there's meaning-making that we make also. There's meaning-making that happens with the did mom forget question. If your dad forgets to call you back, you might assume and make the meaning, oh, dad's must be kind of busy. For some people, if their mom forgets to call them back, they're like, does she still love me? Yes, she's busy too. We make meaning though. That question can be a hard one. Did mom forget? Because it's, did mom forget about me? 
Mom, forget about my thing. And I would recognize, too, at different stages of life, that question can take on a different pain. When children grow into adulthood and take care of their parents, and some of you have walked that road or have had your parents walk that road of realizing that the mind is starting to slip and the person who used to handle like everything is starting to get a little forgetful. And we ask, did mom forget? Is the mind fading? And that also has a heavy layer of pain to it that we hold in tension here today. Did mom forget? The reason that I pull that question out of this reading, for one, it is relatable uh, to our experience and might remind us of some grace that we need to carry. But also because this is the challenge, this is the, the crux of what's happening in Isaiah 49, 13 through 15. Because Zion, God's people, like a child, has said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. This is a sense of abandonment. God has forgotten about me. God has stopped taking care of the details of my life. And then verse 15 makes this comparison that, that we might find a little bit peculiar. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Now, if you talk to the wrong people about your sermon you heard in church today of like, oh yeah, our, uh, our pastor compared God to a, a mother who's breastfeeding, people might get a little like, whoa, that's some out there theology, isn't it? You'd be like, take it up with the Bible, because it's the prophet Isaiah that makes this comparison. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Isaiah, inspired by God to write this down, is picking up on something here, because the rhetorical answer to the question is no. A mother would not forget the child at her breast. The mother would not seek, cease to have compassion on the child that she has born. The general rhetorical answer is no. Now, there are also really hard instances, really traumatic relationships, where the answer would be yes. And I think in God's wisdom, that's recorded here in Scripture too. It's part of the thread that's underneath the surface. Because the obvious answer is, of course you haven't been forgotten. Of course you haven't been forsaken. But then alongside of that, there's the knowledge, well, sometimes that happens. And that is how deeply Zion, God's people, are wrestling with this idea. Has God turned his face away from me? Has God abandoned me? Has God ceased to see my pain? Has God stopped caring about the details of my life? Because I know that it can happen. And when it does, it's usually involving really, really deep pain. Is that what's happening to me? Did God forget? And so Isaiah uses this imagery of a child at its mother's breast where it is completely dependent on life. And God is saying in that slim chance and the great pain that that happens where a, ch where a child can be forgotten by its mother, though she may, I will not. Like this probably won't happen anyway, and even more so, it will not happen between us. And this is in the midst of Isaiah and Jeremiah where there's consequences for Israel's disobedience coming as well. And yet, even in the midst of judgment, God is saying, I will not forget you. 
I will not cease to have compassion on you because I have brought your life into this world and I will not forget you, neither while you walk this earth nor when I call you home. Isaiah 49 uses this imagery and there might be something for us to pay attention to and learn here, even in how we pray. Often, I think we we pray in church, right? This is a good thing. We offer prayers together as God's people. We take our prayer sheets home with us or look them up on email and keep the congregation in prayer together. We maybe pray before meals and at different times of day. But there might be prayer out of habit that we might not otherwise pray unless something was presented as a need, that, that God is always there when we need to reach out, but maybe not the way that we live with a certain dependence, that we think that every day of our lives is totally dependent on God giving us life, that if, if God really turned away from us, we would just cease to exist. Our prayers, more often than not, become most fervent in a time of need, most frequent when there is something going on in life that we're like, oh, I need God. But we needed God every moment of every day, but it's only the pain or the difficult circumstances that remind us of that. Using the imagery from Isaiah 49 of a child who is breastfeeding, that child is completely dependent, cannot take care of itself, is totally in need, of its mother's care. And Isaiah, in this way, teaches us and reminds us that that is our relationship with God. That we ought to pray as people who are dependent on God for life every day. Now, I don't mean that that should turn us into, like, terrified people, like, if God turns away from me, I'm going to, like, evaporate. But rather, it is a call to pray in such a way that we don't take for granted the life that we have, that we don't take for granted the ways that God is with us, and that even when we are in the midst of pain and trial, that even then we cling to this reality that God has not turned away from me. We pray as people who are always dependent on God. We can take that for granted. We get into our life rhythms. We get busy. We find ourselves being rather self-sufficient. And we forget that we are like children with total dependence on our source of life. Now, Isaiah uses this imagery a couple times. And so if you still have your Bibles open in Isaiah 49, I'd invite you to flip back to Isaiah 42, verses 14 through 17. This is once again God speaking of kind of what's about to happen. And once again, there's this, there's some imagery here that we're used to, and We're not saying that from here we're going to, you know, stop referring to God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that's why this imagery stands out to us a little bit for a comparison that Isaiah keeps pulling out. So Isaiah 42, verses 14 through 17. For a long time, I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp and pant. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known along unfamiliar paths. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not 
forsake them. But those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, they will be turned back in utter shame. God makes a comparison to childbirth of saying, this has been building up for a long time, but now a lot is about to happen. I will lay waste the mountains and hills, dry up their vegetation, turn rivers into islands and pools. This is some pretty dark and catastrophic imagery that Isaiah pulls on. And yet within this is also, I will do these things. I will not forsake them. I will turn the darkness of the blind into light before their eyes. At this earlier point in Isaiah, it's saying, this has been building for a long time, and now things are about to happen. And there's going to be a lot of activity, and there's going to be pain, there's going to be upheaval, and there's also going to be comfort and joy. This is also God's imagery used by the prophet Isaiah to describe what's about to happen. That God says, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, and pant. This imagery, too, is in Scripture used to help us understand something about God. It reinforces that God is patient with us and long-suffering and stands alongside of us and that when God moves, a lot will happen. Isaiah 66, verses 12 through 13 picks up with this final imagery towards the end of the book. For this is what the Lord says, I will extend peace to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. And you will be comforted over Jerusalem. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. At the three times that the prophet Isaiah uses this, there's something about Israel is growing up throughout this. In Isaiah 42, we started with childbirth. In Isaiah 49, we have a young child who's breastfeeding. And in Isaiah 66, we've got a child who's being bounced on the knee to be comforted. And why would that matter so much to us? If not for the fact at that point, a kid can probably hold their own head up. And at that point, there is this still understanding of dependency on life, but there's also connection. That I want to be comforted. I want to be in your presence. And that this is what Isaiah is teaching the people of Israel, teaching Zion back then and us as the church today, to know that you will be comforted, that you will be in the presence of God, and that like a child who just needs the comfort and assurance that I'm not alone, I will be comforted, you are watching over me, you are with me. This is the comfort that God delivers in Isaiah 66 and also throughout our lives. It's different kind of imagery for us to use and to notice and pay attention to. It evokes memories and relatable ones for we've all gone through these developmental steps. And that's why I think Isaiah uses it to remember that if we are children of God, if we are those who are utterly dependent on God, that we ought to pray as those who don't take for granted God's continued care. And that when we turn to comfort, we ought to turn to our Lord. That as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you, says the Lord, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. So where do we turn for comfort? 
we turn to God. This is the direction that Isaiah uses, using some motherly imagery that can echo for us today, but that our turn and attention and focus goes back to the Lord. This ought to teach us something about how to pray, about who we are as we relate to an almighty and ever-powerful God. Also, I wonder if there's something else that we can hold on to and understand by learning from our brothers and sisters in the church throughout history that have carried these same scripture texts and help us to make sense of them. St. Cyprian, uh, third century bishop of the church, made the famous quote of, you cannot have God as your father without the church as your mother. They picked up on this imagery of Isaiah and of Jesus talking about the mother hen wanting to gather all to her. And Cyprian and others, and certainly our, as a Reformed church, our Reformed roots, John Calvin and other Reformers, pick up on this idea of we want to have this relationship with God, that, that God is our Father, that we approach the throne of grace through Jesus the Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But what they hold on to, even in the Reformation, where people weren't sure really what church was for, what it was all about, if it had a point or a purpose or not, they turned back to Cyprian, from the third century, who is turning back to Isaiah centuries before that, and saying, well, you need the church as your mother. If God is your father, then the church is to be your mother. Now that can stir some things in our minds. Hopefully it connects us to these texts. Once again, this is from the Bible. Maybe it connects us to moments that we have been most grateful for the church's care. That like a child being bounced on its mother's knee, there have been times where the church's presence has meant the world to us. Where we have just known, like the people in Isaiah wanted to know, that we are not alone. That we will be comforted. That that we haven't been forgotten or forsaken. And that the church is to be the place where that comfort and care and support and encouragement and challenge and discipline and all of the other things can take place. At its best, That's what we are called to aspire to. Now, does taking somebody out to eat on a Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday lunch, what time do people eat anyway? Does taking someone out to eat make a chronic diagnosis go away? Or does getting a cup of coffee make someone's anxiety and depression disappear? No. Does it matter? Yes. Does it matter that we, as people of God, take care of one another in such a way that we do a little bit of mutual mothering, that we care for one another, that we express God's care, even when we don't have answers, that we can listen and say, you are not alone, you are not forgotten, your pain still matters, you are still seen. I like that picture of the church, and there's all kinds of ways in which that does happen. And... There are times where that doesn't happen, where that hasn't happened. And that's why I think Isaiah uses that first image that we used of, well, could you be forgotten? Well, no, and even more so, not by God. But could you be forgotten? Yes. It's hard to confront our parents if we have longstanding conflict. I think in the same way within the church, the times where we're like, the church wasn't the church in the ways I wanted it to be. 
expected it to be, thought I could count on the church to be, that also contains a great deal of pain. Sometimes that requires hard conversations. And yet, I don't know if that often leaves us feeling like everything is set and good to go or the the whole situation, we feel somehow vindicated. Often I think we can turn a little bit mean if we speak from our pain, going back to last week, the meaning that we've made, the the meaning that we've made and how we maybe project that on those around us. But I do wonder if we, collectively yet individually, take this scripture, this set of passages from scripture to heart, we say, I want to live out that kind of vision of church. That I might not be able to make everyone else do it the way I think it should be done, but what is my part to play in making the church this type of community? Those that we recognize God as, mother, God as father and church as mother, do we live that out? And we each have our gifts, So you can't expect another person to live it out exactly the way you would. Nor would it be fair for someone to put that on you. Their expectations of what they would do somehow become yours. But collectively, maybe we find the weak spots in our own care for one another. And when we do so, we do so with grace and truth. And say, okay, here's the boundaries with which I want to make the church what I want it to be. The vision that I it was, the way I see it at its best. Here's what I can bring that to. I use boundaries saying that we we don't want to be people who only serve on our own certain terms, because sometimes that can come into not actually being very helpful at all. We are people with boundaries. We begin and end at different points, and yet part of those boundaries are, by God's grace, to be generous with where we find our boundaries. To where we don't write off, oh, that's not something I do. Could it be? How do we care for one another well? So that when we walk alongside of our brothers and sisters, who like Zion in Isaiah 49 verse 14 says, I have been forsaken. I have been forgotten. That the church, echoing the love and comfort of God, responds, I will not forget. Let's pray. God, throughout our lives, we might bounce back and forth between expecting you to do and have done everything for us in one moment, and then in another, we can completely forget our dependence on you. We confess that before you that we either ignore you or expect things of you that you didn't even promise. So God, we come to you today asking that you help us to observe ourselves, that you give us joy and gratitude for the moments where we have been loved well, and for a resolve, even out of our own growth and pain, for how we grow into and forward to Bring about the vision of the church that we long to see real. God, you love us. You comfort us. And Lord, we give you thanks that as your people, as your children, we can be your hands and feet and voice of comfort to our brothers and sisters who walk this earth.
both within the church, in community, and outside of the church, in witness and mission, that your love may be known, that your comfort may be embraced. And Lord, help us in even the small things where maybe our, our boundary feels pretty generous that we're outside of our comfort zone and that that's hard and that we look and we think, does this really help at all? Help us to have your eyes and your mind in knowing what matters and to be assured that the difference of our actions in fact does make a difference. For Lord, you are the difference maker in our lives. Comfort us, protect us, watch over us, and inspire us. In your name we pray.